0: Uh, let's stand as we uh, read God's Word, please. We'll be reading uh, Matthew 25:14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid hid his master's money. Now, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to apply it to our hearts, to put it into practice and into our lives. Pray be with Pastor Harold as he gives a message. And thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, what a blessing to be together. Are we on here? Yeah, we go. What a blessing to be together. Uh, Had a number of things just running through my mind as we were praying for the kids as we were listening to the word um, just incredibly blessed for me today to be able to stand before you and to share from this passage of scripture and part of what it was running through my mind was as we prayed for the kids i thought of our college kids who are back in class We need to continue to pray for them. I thought of uh, Josiah Fentress, who is uh, hopefully, by God's grace, surviving Marine boot camp. Um, And I was just challenged. You know, it's so easy for us to pray for these younger kids, but we need to pray for our college kids. We need to be praying for our high school kids. As Greg read through this passage of scripture, and I'm I'm reliving in my mind some of the notes that I'd gone over earlier this morning, it just struck me how much we focus on ourselves as individuals. And while we're going to look at some things individually this morning, I also felt this strong sense that for each of us as congregations... God has entrusted to us talents. Many of you probably didn't even think about it. I confess I didn't think about it till, as we were singing together, but today's our anniversary. It was on the second Sunday in January of 1987 that we had our first public worship service. Nine people, including our kids. And uh, I just see what God has done and what he's entrusted to us. As Matt shared during the announcement time of how him and John were putting some things together, Saturday servants. And then I get this phone call and I call Matt. I said, you'll never believe this phone call that I just got And he said, you'll never believe what we were just talking about. God is entrusting things to us. I'm excited to tell you that this week we purchased tickets for five of us going to the Philippines in mid to late February. And the door that God has opened there, I had to apologize to Bailey Kenner that she didn't get a ticket this year, but save your money next year by God's grace. While I don't necessarily, well, it's not, I don't agree with the politics of former President Jimmy Carter. There's a lot that I admire about that man. And to think that in his 90s, he was over in the South Bend area a few months ago driving nails, working with Habitat for Humanity. And one of the things that I've thought about that he said is that my faith demands, this is not optional. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have, to try to make a difference. We're going to look at the parable of the talents today. But these verses that we just read have to be understood in a larger context. If we just try to pull them out and just isolate and focus on them alone, we're going to miss the larger message that Jesus is bringing. Because you see, near the end of his earthly life and ministry, Jesus says a number of things to his disciples, and this is just part of what he said. Matthew 24, they ask the questions, what are going to be the signs of his coming? They're walking through the area of Jerusalem, and they look at this magnificent temple Herod's temple that was rebuilt, and and they're just saying, what an amazing thing. And Jesus says, the day's coming, not one stone will be left upon another. And he begins to talk about the signs of the coming of the Son of Man and of his return. And then he gives a series of illustrations. There's the illustration of the fig tree that we talked about uh, in some degree this morning, but it was a different fig tree, recognize the sign of the fig tree, which we would understand prophetically. Keep your eyes on what's happening in Israel, because that's going to tell you a lot of what God is doing in his timetable with the return of Christ. He gives the illustration of the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Whole message in itself right there. The illustration in in verses 40 and 41 of two men working in the field uh, and two women, one taken, the other left. The illustration in verses 42 through 44 of the faithful servant and then the wise servant. As Matthew 25 begins, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Again, we need to understand these things as they were given. It's it's a part of the whole context. And when you begin to put all of the pieces together, it makes each piece even more significant to us. So in the first 13 verses of Matthew 25, it's the parable of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. The wise who were preparing and they were ready. They were anticipating. Even though the bridegroom's return is delayed, they had prepared and they are ready. And the five foolish who weren't. So now, as we move to these verses, we begin to look at the parable of the talents. I thought it was extremely significant, and this is a familiar passage of Scripture to many of us, that verse 15, it talks about the talents. Our immediate thought is money, and it does relate to money, but the understanding is far broader than that. If you go back to Matthew 18 and verse 24, that's specifically about money. But here in Matthew twenty five, <coughs> excuse me, it's much broader than that. Because it has to do with abilities. And did you notice in the last part of verse 15 that when the master distributed the, the five talents, the two talents, and the singular talent, that the scripture makes a note of saying it was according to their ability. Again, I want to come back and say something I said just a little bit earlier. While we're looking at individual responsibilities, may I also say to us that as a church, God has entrusted to us talents. And we must be faithful stewards of what he has entrusted to us. And I believe that God will call us, even as this parable says, individually to accountability. I believe that he will call us as a church to be accountable for what he has entrusted to us. It should go without saying that through all of this, we need to guard our hearts We dare not let attitudes of superiority take over within us. There can be no arrogance. The fact that God has entrusted things into our hands should be a humbling experience that motivates us, not out of guilt, but out of a sense of privilege that God entrusts these things to me. To us as a church. To you as an individual. Now when we begin to think of talents, you know, our minds kind of uh, naturally go to those with special abilities. We think of superstar gifted athletes or, or, or incredibly gifted musicians. We think of the extraordinary people. And yet I love what Jesus says in this This parable, that to each one was given according to their ability. It's not based on one being better than another. It's based on what are the abilities that God has entrusted to us. And based on that, he begins to give us opportunities to exercise faithfulness and productivity with what he's entrusted to us we'll talk about this a a bit more in a couple of moments. But may I say to us, most of us sell ourselves short. And we see there's nothing special about me. There's no gifts in me. Others can do things better. Well, there's always somebody who can do something better than you can. But that doesn't mean god has called them or put them in that position if god calls you he will equip you and he will enable you again the word talents here has much more to do than finances it's broad it has to do with personality and character traits These are characteristics that God has intended be used for his glory and his eternal purposes. There's life experiences. Each of us has a unique life history. It's made up of our family background, our education, our work history, the network of relationships that we have and will develop. No one has ever lived life exactly like you. And there's so many people who struggle with such inferiority, insecurities. I want to say this this morning is not a self-help sermon. But you need to get down into your spirit that there is no one like you. You are one of a kind. Created in God's image, unique like no one else. And there are things that God wants to use you to do that nobody else on the face of this earth can do. Talents has to do with your interests and your passions. Many of you here this morning are far too young to remember Mother Teresa. Some of us remember who Mother Teresa was, her passion to care for the suffering, the outcasts in Calcutta, India. And she served these poor, dying people with compassion and with the love of Christ. It was amazing out of her servant's heart. God put her in a a position. I remember before she died, there was a big, big meeting, and she reprimanded the world leaders. And you know what? They took it because of who Mother Teresa was. Her passion. There are people like William Wilberforce, one of my heroes, If you don't know about William Wilberforce, go out and do a Google search and and learn something about a man who had a passion. His heart's desire was to see the slave trade end and to see Great Britain cease their operations. He was a courageous man who, who worked tirelessly for years. And you know what? The slave trade was at the very center of the British economy. It was that golden triangle where slave traders would go down to Africa, pick up slaves, bring them to the new world, pick up sugar and spices and other things and take them back to England. It was the center of the English economy. And Wilberforce says, it's wicked, this slave trade. Now, you see, if I'm not careful, I could just go down this rabbit trail, which is a, would be quite rewarding, and we spend the rest of the morning on this. But here was a... God used people with passions. Where are your passions? Where are your interests? God's going to use those. You see, wherever your passion is, that's going to be a clue to ways in which God wants to use you to serve him, To serve the church and to glorify him in the earth. So, when you're thinking about your God given talents and abilities, you've got to think about not only your abilities, but your personality and your passion, your knowledge and life experience, and then with that, the relationships that you've forged through life. As I said, we just bought tickets to the Philippines. The ministry that we have as a church in the Philippines has been based on relationships. Mm -hmm. Going back to when Janice and I were first asked to go visit the Philippines, and we came in contact with Pastor Peter Visaya, who's been one of our partners in mission for years. But it comes back to relationships when Tim Cleveland, now, doesn't this sound spiritual? He goes to FBI Academy in Quantico. That's a spiritual exercise, isn't it? But you see, God had a divine appointment there because one of his classmates was Maria Santos. And Maria Santos has a, a very responsible position in the Philippine National Police. And it was through that relationship that God has opened the most extraordinary door of ministry to the Philippine National Police. Young people, teenagers especially, I want to encourage you. I, I wish... I, I, somebody probably said it to me and I was too stupid to to remember and understand it but pay attention to the relationships and the connections that you have as in school because you will be amazed at how God will bring many of these people back into your life don't be like me when people come to me and say "Oh, I went to school with you don't be like me whose first words have to be i'm sorry forgive me and if you don't understand why i had to say sorry forgive me i'll explain that to you later but recognize with everybody you meet Life becomes an adventure because you don't know how God's going to bring them back into your life and how those connections God may very well want to use for his glory and eternal purposes. It's part of what God entrusts to us in terms of time, talent, and treasure. These relationships. All of these things the totality of our lives are resources that we possess that can be used one way or another. We all have natural abilities, but we also have spiritual gifts. It's interesting. The Bible talks about three different kinds of spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12... You read about motivational gifts. And here again, I I wish I had about three hours just to teach on motivational gifts because I'll tell you, down in the well, there is a three-part message just on motivational gifts of what makes each of us who we are unique in his sight where it says, uh, having gifts, this is in Romans twelve six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith in service, in service, the one who teaching, administration, all these wonderful gifts. And then in the scriptures that follow, it tells us how to exercise that in a godly way. Motivational gifts. There are manifestational gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and then again verse 28. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, working, effecting of miracles. All of these things that God has made available. You know, I was just thinking this week. uh, Our grandson, Asher, is, is going through a particularly difficult J term. In fact, he has been given an assignment. This part of will determine whether he will graduate um, in December or not. But um, it's an assignment that the professor doesn't know how to solve. Think about that. Well, we could go down there and talk more about that. And I was just thinking, you know, as Christians, we have an advantage over the world because... The Bible says that all, in terms of Jesus, all things were created in Him, through Him, and for Him, and in Him all things hold together. And as believers, where does He dwell? In our hearts by faith. Now we have a responsibility, as Paul writes to Timothy, where he says, study. High school students say the word study, do your homework. (laughs) You know, we can't ask God to help us on the test if we haven't studied. But when we've poured and we've done studied, we have something. We can say, Holy Spirit, I need a word of wisdom. I need a word of knowledge. I've been thinking of Asher. And, you know, I'm communicating with him and I'm saying, Asher, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. It's part of the uniqueness of the gifts. I love the story that's told of the building of Hoover Dam and the the massive amounts of electricity that was being generated. They could not build a condenser, uh, a capacitor, that would handle the extraordinary amount of electricity that was being generated. And the dam was coming close to completion, and and the engineers were, were stymied. And finally, the lead guy on the, on the team said, okay, go take a week off. Or maybe it was two weeks, I don't know. How do you take two weeks off when you're approaching a deadline and you've got to have an answer and everything you've tried fails? So they take some time off, they come back. says, where did you go? And he begins to... Talk to the team. Well, one of them had gone to Egypt, had gone to the pyramids and confessed to having smuggled some pottery out of Egypt. Not a good thing. In the middle of the night, God wakes up the lead engineer, reminds him of the story in John 2, where they turn, Jesus turns the water into wine, and in his scientific mind, he is thinking of the incredible amount of energy that would have been generated to turn water into wine and those jars that the wine was created in. Called the person who had smuggled the peace out of Egypt... Now this just goes against everything we think, right? I'm not condoning, condoning stealing antiquities, okay? He said, bring that piece of pottery in. They analyzed it and they build capacitor out of that analysis, and it worked. True story. Now there have been multiple generations of, of new advances in technology. But can you imagine as we as Christians who are walking in faithfulness and we say, Holy Spirit, we need an answer. We need your help here. How many of us in a tense business meeting call on the Holy Spirit and say, give me a word of wisdom? If I may speak just out of a personal experience, I'll never forget a number of years ago. I'm in Indianapolis, it's a government meeting, it is very tense and we're getting nowhere and our efforts here in Northeastern Indiana are being stymied. And I remember sitting in that meeting and suddenly I, I just began to pray to myself. It's not out loud. Oh, God, just undertake with these heathen. No, I'm just praying to beat the band inside of me. I said, God, you got to do something. Give me a word of wisdom. Give me something. And all of a sudden, there was an opening. And I'll tell you, this is not of me. This, is of, this was of God. God dropped something in my heart. The opening came, and I spoke it, and the whole atmosphere turned. And I'll never forget, driving back up north, I was riding with the director of the, uh, well, it was the Solid Waste District. We were down there for a meeting. And on the way home, he says, man, what you said was amazing. That just turned everything. And I said, Steve, let me tell you the story. I said, I can tell you he's Roman Catholic and I just keep pouring into him and loving him and he calls me Padre it's 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 a fun relationship I said you and I were the only ones in the room that knew what was going on and I knew he didn't know what was going on but I'm talking to him as if he did and I said isn't it awesome that we can call on the Holy Spirit and we have gifts of the Spirit that are available to us to accomplish kingdom purposes and purposes in serving people. There's ministry gifts. I'm sorry for that little aside, but, you know, these these are things that God has entrusted to us, church, individually and corporately. And far too often, corporately, we don't come together to see God about how we should handle the things He's entrusted to us. Ephesians chapter 4 are ministry gifts that have been entrusted to us as a church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. So these gifts, gifts such as spiritual discernment and giving and leadership and mercy and administration, teaching, evangelism, wisdom, and exhortation. We're told that God distributes these in his church among his people as he wills to equip the saints and for his glory and his purposes." So you see, as a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, really understanding what are the gifts? What are the talents? What has God entrusted into my life? Well, that's an important exercise. Because if we see ourselves as a nothing, that God hasn't put anything in our lives, how are we going to begin to use that for His glory? Because I'm telling you, God has put something unique and special into the hearts and lives of each one of us here. But most of us become so self-absorbed, we just say, well, who am I? I I? You know, I'm a nothing. I can't do anything. Most of us have much more to offer than we give ourselves credit for but you see the problem is we're looking at ourselves and our weaknesses not what God has entrusted to us in terms of abilities so I was putting this together one of my uh, my first thoughts I thought about Moses God calls Moses, and you remember what God, what Moses says back to God? It's so similar to the kind of thing that you and I do. Moses says, God, not me, because I'm slow to speech. You see, we look at our weaknesses, not at God's calling, Now, God does compromise and say, okay, look, if you think you're slow to speak, take your brother Aaron with you and let him do the talking. But the call is on you. Moses saw himself as limited. How could God use me because of my weakness? God placed Esther in a position where she could be used to save an entire Jewish race you look at this man named Saul who we know as Paul impulsive, passionate no, that's Peter, we'll get to him well, let's just talk about Peter the big fisherman, impulsive, passionate suffered from foot-in-mouth disease always opening his mouth and sticking his foot in it Lord, I will go to my death with you He meant it. Do you realize Peter is the only one in the Garden of Eden with a sword? He meant it. He was sincere. He didn't know it was in his heart to deny the Lord, and yet he did three times. But his passion, God would use to make him truly a fisher of men, and God would use Peter's bold leadership to launch the first century church. And then there's Saul, the man who persecuted the church in the same century, a zealot, a man with a brilliant mind, and a deep knowledge of Jewish theology, gifts of scholarship and writing, and yet when God arrests him on the Damascus Road, Saul's life is transformed, and Paul is used in such a glorious way. You know, when we look at how God brings the talents and and the totality of our life, of our abilities and our character and our passion and our connections and all of these things, Paul becomes such a prime example. Because you see, he's also a Roman citizen and that's going to play heavily into his arrest, imprisonment, and leading him to Rome and the spreading of the gospel. God doesn't waste anything in our lives. God used every dimension of Paul's abilities, his circumstances after his conversion on the Damascus Road. Even his imprisonment was a gift of God that was entrusted to him because we know that most of his epistles came as he sat in a prison cell. God never wastes anything in your life or mine. That's true for us individually. It's true for us corporately here as a church. And then one of my favorites of God using abilities 2 Kings chapter 5. A little girl with no name. <coughs> The Bible doesn't tell us what her name was. But God used her to touch the heart of two kings, to see this general Naaman healed. He, actually, he wasn't healed, he was cleansed. Just a little parenthesis. Note in the Bible that when it talks about leprosy, no one is ever healed of leprosy. They're always cleansed. Because leprosy is also a spiritual type of sin. We don't get healed from sin. We get cleansed from sin. That wasn't in my notes. That was just for free. God uses this little girl. Not only does Naaman get healed, but he comes to genuine faith in God. I wish we had time just to look at that story in 2 Kings chapter 5. See, God doesn't look for superstars. He's looking for those who will make themselves available and will use the gifts, the abilities, the talents, the things that God has entrusted into their lives for his glory. If you still have your Bible open to Matthew 25, I want to point this out. Look at verse 29 we know what happens when the master comes back the one with five talents has turned it into ten the one with two has turned it into four but there was the one who buried his talent and there's judgment that comes because he sat on it and did nothing and the master says at least you could have put it in bank I know the interest rates are terrible, but at least you could have put it in the bank. But no, what did you do? You buried it. I cannot tell you how many times over the years I have heard sermons on how we bury our talents. And those sermons served more to condemn rather than to encourage. May I say to us, that God has entrusted to us. This is an awesome blessing. This is an awesome privilege that he has invested, entrusted to us talents, gifts, and abilities. It's not to shame us. It should encourage us. But look at verse 29. Because the judgment comes and God says, Take... Or or the, the parable, Jesus says in the parable, take what that slothful servant had and give it to the one who had ten, had five and turned it into ten. Here's what I want to point out. Look at verse 29. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have it in abundance. Now here's where we've made a mistake in our understanding and interpretation of this verse. So often we have viewed this because we think in terms of the talents primarily financially. We've seen this as God bringing us financial abundance. May I say to us, that what it really means, the abundance means that God is entrusting more to us for which we then become responsible. He entrusts to us more talent, more ability, more opportunity. It's not a financial thing that I'm going to financially prosper through this. However, God may choose to financially prosper you. But faithfulness means that God is going to entrust more to us. often think about things that the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole used to say. Things like, Maturity does not come with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. Teenagers, I can tell you, your parents want to give you as much liberty and freedom as you demonstrate that you can handle. They want to give you that freedom. Oh, my folks won't let me do anything. (laughs) Well, demonstrate faithfulness with the freedom that you have and they'll give you more because i'll tell you what they do not want you living with them forever (laughs) our job as parents is to prepare our kids for life on their own and if we don't we have failed them and kids what we want is to give you all of the freedom all of the liberty that you demonstrate you can handle and that's the way it is with God and us that would have been a good time to say amen 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 Paul reminds us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us I don't know about you, but I'm painfully aware that there are cracks in the vessel of this life. And yet I'm constantly amazed at God's grace that he keeps pouring into my life and entrusting to me the privilege of serving. So as we bring this together, let me me just ask you this what's the treasure what are the gifts and the talents that God has placed in your life don't be self-absorbed and think about all your weaknesses about what you can't do begin to say what has God poured into me what are my passions what are my interests what are the relationships he's building in my life and then what are you doing with them Are you using them for God's kingdom? Parable of the Talents here in Matthew 25 says, it makes it just really clear that we are one day going to give an account before God for what he has entrusted to us. Will we hear the Master say, Well done, good and faithful servant? You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. See, here again, it's that principle, teenagers. Your parents want to give you as much liberty and freedom as you demonstrate that you can handle. And when we demonstrate faithfulness with what God has entrusted to us, he will give us more. That means more work, more responsibility. That's a message in and of itself. Or will we be hearing what the unfaithful, slothful service is, you wicked and slothful servant? Matt alluded to this earlier. The real answer to that question comes in Matthew chapter six, twenty-one. He referred to that earlier in the service. Where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever we invest our time, our talents, and our treasures, that's where we're going to find our heart. Because you see, our hearts will always find its way to the place where we place our treasure. Worship team, come. One of the American humorists that I enjoyed over the years was the late Irma Bombeck. She was uh, a funny lady, to say the least, in the things that she wrote. But this one I liked particularly. She said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left, but could say I've used everything you gave me. Now, I've made a joke over the years about all that I'm doing. When the world says I'm supposed to be retired, my comment has always been I'd sooner wear out than sit around and rust out. But the reality is, I pray that I can stand before God and say, God, everything you poured into my life, I've used for your glory. Not out of guilt but out of love. That God would give me the opportunity to represent him in this situation. That God would pour things into my life. Everything he pours in, I want to use for his glory. And when I'm done at the end of my earthly life, I want the tank to be below empty where I ran on fumes. Stand together with me.